Well, we've had so much fun. We try. We've been. To, we've played forty-four states plus the District of Columbia, so we've made almost all fifty states. Yeah, we've been to every one, I think. But we because you drive through some on the way to others. But but we we played almost every one. We've been to Japan three times. We've been to Europe about eight times. You know, we've had a really good run. Very fun. That was Chris Siebert of the band Levee Smith and her Red Hot Skillet Lickers. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, which will be part one of two, Chris and LeVay will talk about how the band got started, the SF music scene at that time, and some interesting experiences they've had in club basements. Here are Chris and LeVay. So I was kind of spinning my wheels, figuring out what I was going to do. I was waiting tables in the marina and collecting old jazz records. And this was on vinyl, not CD. And I lived across the street from Jack's Record Cellar which is on Scott Street between Haight and Page, and they're still there. They're only open one or two days a week, and it's just this treasure trove of old records, especially 70, you know the place, 78 RPM records and everything. So I was buying records there and then kind of learning a lot about old blues and jazz, and it was a passion of mine, you know, and playing a little bit of piano, but not professionally. I was um, sneaking into Hastings School of Law and playing there on their piano all the time. So I was... Uh, Walking in the upper hate, I was living in the lower hate, I was walking in the upper hate, and I heard a guy playing some incredible ragtime guitar. And I was very impressed, and he sounded just like a lot of these old records I was buying. He was outside in the street busking, yeah. And, um, and we started talking, we hit it off, very nice guy, and, um, and I told him I played piano, and he said, well, do you have a, a, a keyboard or something? I said, well, I got this thing called a melodica, you know, which you blow into, you know, I just happened to have one. That's all I had, I didn't have a keyboard or piano or anything else, that's why I was going to Hastings School of Lada to play and um and he said well bring it up here and i did and he liked what i did i I played with him he liked what i did and invited me to his gig at this place called the blue lamp which is on gary street it was a tenderloin dive full of tenderloin you know people uh the people inside who went there call it a bucket of blood which is an old word for for that was an old word for a kind of a rough bar you know and, uh, and so I started playing there with these. With, well, he asked me to come and play with his blues band. I did. They liked me in the hired me. It was kind of shocking. I had no intention of going into music. Made almost no... Playing the, they had a keyboard in there. So I played the keyboard. Uh, we got paid very little, but we got all the beer we could drink, and that kind of impressed me. I didn't know that was a possibility. So I was kind of sold. And some three months later, that guy, that guitar player, walks in with this very cute singer who comes up and sings with the band and automatically the audience has forgotten that we exist and has fallen in love with her including what i would call sort of normal civilian people and also all the tenderloin crazies you know and they just loved her and she got a gig right away that was levee of course uh they gave her a gig right away and we were her backup band that's how the whole thing started um so that was the beginnings of it and then you know we played like a really wide variety of places and i would say san francisco in those days, you had the remnants of this kind of golden era of jazz and blues music were still around. So, exactly right. Late, early, early, night. So, there were still a lot of people around who had played here in the 40s and 50s, you know. And uh, we slowly started to get to know these older guys, you know. And, it tur- and, and they were around, and they were actually available to do gigs because people had kind of forgotten about them. Guys who would play with Duke Ellington and Lionel Hampton and Benny Goodman and Quincy Jones. And they all joined our band. Uh, we hired them, and so our we never went to music school, but we decided to turn our band into our music school, and we and some of the other younger players all learned at the feet of these older players, uh, and they were actually quite well known. They were the legends around here in the jazz scene. We didn't really know it at the time. They were just these cool old guys, 
So they some of them would win like the San Francisco Beacon Award, which is what the SF Jazz Festival gives out every year, lifetime achievement thing, you know, that level of, of player and stuff. And um, that kind of put us on the map in an interesting way because all of a sudden the Swingsteen popped up. It's the mid-'90s. And most of those bands were kids who had been in punk rock bands, which was cool, but they were playing a certain type of music, which really wasn't jazz. It was almost like rock music with a jazz flavor on top. And we became known as the band in that scene that had real great musicians. And so we started touring behind that swing scene nationally, and we got a lot of great write-ups in all the jazz magazines, and they said, just because you don't like the swing scene, you'll like, don't write these guys off, because they're the real deal, you know. And that was sort of how we got out on the national scene and toured for 20 years, you know. Um, but before that happened, there were some pretty rough, rough spots. Um, one time we did a gig. I'm going to not name a couple of names. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a couple. Right, exactly. Right, right. So we played a club up in North Beach, which is a pretty rough little spot. And, and LaVey in those days still smoked cigarettes. And she was a real trooper. And she, no matter how she felt, she would make every gig. But one day she just couldn't do it. And her voice was out. She waited till the last minute to do the gig. But she just couldn't do it. And so we had to scramble because the rest of us needed the money from this gig. So I called a blues singer who I knew, and he came in sudden. He was very good. He'd been kind of a legend down in Los Angeles, and then he moved up here. Uh, he had seen better days, but he was a soulful guy. And he came in, he really did a great job, and the crowd just loved it. But afterwards, the manager says, well, I don't want to pay you guys. And I said, well, you know, you could have told us. Before. He said, we, you know, we, we're paying for LeVay Smith. I said, well, you're supposed to tell us that beforehand. And then we won't do the gig, fair enough. But she couldn't make it. We actually did our job by bringing somebody else in, a very competent sub. We did the best we could, good faith effort. And this guy's really being a, a dick about it, you know. So we're arguing. Finally, he brings, and I'm not going to leave until I get paid. You know, I'm trying to raise a stink and, and, and puff myself up as best I can. You know, I'm not just kind of young person. I'm not really all that aggressive or anything. I'm kind of pretending like I know what I'm doing, you know. I'm still pretty new in this business and everything, which, as my father, who was an actor, said, was invented to make his business look ethical, by the way. Because <laughs> the music business, as, as uh, Hunter S. Thompson said, it's a long plastic trench full of thieves and, uh, and, uh, and crooks, and then there's a bad side. That's Hunter S. Thompson. So we, we discovered some of that in the early days. This guy's not going to pay me. And, uh, and I'm raising this thing. Finally, he says, okay, we're going downstairs. So he takes me downstairs. I had no idea there was a downstairs in this club. I had played there dozens of times. Well, it was a basement. Yeah, what, what, so that's what I'm thinking. What is this all about? No idea there's a ba basement in this place. We go down, and it's actually a sort of vast basement, which somehow to me at the time seemed like 10 times bigger than the club, like it was under the entire north beach was under there you know with pipes and they're dripping and it's like this weird scene in a movie to me because it's all kind of empty except there's a desk in the middle of this vast basement with this guy sitting behind it. and I'm, this is really fucking weird you know so i talked to the guy and he's like talk to me at least in my mind this guy's kind of talking like the godfather you know and he says okay tell me what happened you know and we're in north beach after all and uh and I sort of tell my story. The other guy tells a story. And then we kind of go back and forth. We argue. And the guy's like, and I feel like I'm on trial here. You know, it's very weird. And I'm pretty, getting pretty nervous because the guy's got a goon sitting next to him who looks pretty dangerous, you know. It's, well, you know, pretty much that's the feeling anyway. Whether it was actually there, I can't say because this is 25 years ago. But it sure felt exactly like what you just described, you know. And I'm starting to get really nervous. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to, like, beat my ass for asking for the money? And so do I back and down? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. All the, you know, the indignity and the, and the being broke, you know. 
So, so and the physical pain. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. But I, you know, I stick to my guns. Ask for money, and, and finally, and this guy's kind of yelling at me, and it's going back and forth. And finally, the guy behind the desk goes, "Give the kid the money." I'm like, "Oh, we are my biggest sigh of relief in the world, you know." And so he paid me. But I, but but come to find out, a week later, the goon who was sitting next to him, and all these people in this venue shall remain unnamed. The goon who was standing next to him uh, went to jail for shooting a guy in the nuts a week later. And, he, and the guy he shot in the nuts was his boss's ex, uh, ex uh, the, the guy who was dating his, the, guy, the guy behind the desk's ex-wife. A- ex-wife, by the way. But, you know, we first started out in the Tenderloin, and the, the crowds were so wonderful. You know, like really soulful, interesting people, really weird people, people who love music a lot. They didn't have time for this and that they needed some healing and some good times so we met a a lot of beautiful people there and then when our band started to get other gigs like in the paradise lounge these people would follow us there and they would always get kicked out right away Uh, just like bobby yeah yeah my friend bobby he comes in he's like uh 65 60 years old my name is bobby berry i wrote I wrote Lemez. That's my play. I love you. Play St. Louis Blues. And so he followed us down there, and he had real fast hands. He was a little pickpocket stealing money off the chains. Just adorable. He got kicked out. Then this other Irish woman, another Irish person, but her name was Katie. And she would party her ass off. She used to sell hot dogs at, um, at Candlestick. Real big woman. And so uh, she came down to the Paradise Lounge and started doing what she did at the Blue Lamp, taking off her clothes, stripping down to her big beige bra. And she was like about, you know, 50-something, who knows, big lady. And, um, yeah, and she, yeah, she took it down. She got wild, and she had a little tattoo on her inner thigh. She put her leg up on this, pointing at pointing at it and she got kicked out of there too man man but you know all the histers back then they couldn't handle all the real cool shit man <laughs> uh and you know the, the mob was in a lot of clubs i can't say back in those days now you know by then it was but a lot of the older guys we worked with said for sure they worked in plenty of clubs um where there was uh where there was a mob influence you know what that's a good question. I yeah, I can't I can't say I can't say for sure. I, I would or has it? I would I would have thought a long time ago myself, but I really don't know. Um, a lot of the older guys would do gigs playing in strip joints. They actually had live music in the strip joints in the forties and fifties. So guys in our band, that was a way you would make money, and it would always be like a keyboard player, a drummer, and a sax player. And there's there's uh, no no bass which is strange. Keyboard players expect to do that. could be a piano or an organ, you know. Um, and there's one funny story around that, which is a guy that we used to work with named Hal Stein. He was a very legendary guy. He's in Leonard Feathers Encyclopedia Jazz. He was a New York guy, and then he moved down here and kind of fell off the map of the national scene, but he was a legend around here, and he was in our band for a while. He did a strip joint gig, and he sent in a very famous saxophone player named Lee Konitz, in, in, who was famous for being on Miles Davis' The Birth of the Cool. So very cool, laid back, jazz, not exciting. Basically not what you'd expect in a strip joint. But he sent this guy in as a sub one time because he couldn't make it. So, of course, the next time he comes back and he says, how did he do? And the, late, the girls are like, don't ever send that guy back in again. We, could, we couldn't bump and grind him to save our butt, you know. His name was Leaky Notes and the great local piano player, I mean, Lee Konitz. And the great local piano player, Al Plank, used to call him Leaky Notes. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I remember a story similar to Chris's at the Grant and Green. We were playing there, and um, the guys wanted us to come downstairs again, but I was there that night because they were going to give us another night. And we went downstairs, and I remember the scene the same way, a big empty de- a big desk, but I remember the guy, older, with gray hair, a lot of it. <laughs> and um, I always remember him wearing a jumpsuit for some reason, like a... Maybe not an orange, like an orange jumpsuit, like right out of prison. And I remember a ton of money, just stacks of money. And then, uh, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, of course, Sam Connie, you know, but I have to say, the clothes were a lot better when the mob owned them than when the corporations owned them. I much rather work for the mob than the corporations. Well, that's it for episode 11, part one of Storied San Francisco. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StoriedSF. We're on Facebook at Storied San Francisco. The website is storiedsf.com, and our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. The music for these episodes is by Chris and LeVay, who do regular gigs at Royal Cuckoo every Sunday night. The full band, LeVay Smith and her Red Hot Skillet Lickers, plays around town all the time. So visit their website, levaysmith.com, for more information. Thanks for listening. Check back Thursday to hear more stories and a live song by Chris and LeVay.